Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. Now, normally with these podcasts, I'll be uh, the lonely figure sitting in the back of my office and practicing uh, and chatting away with various talented and interesting people who may be the other side of the city, the other side of the country, or indeed the other side of the world. Well, today is a podcast with a difference because we're recording live at the Chancellor Hotel in Hobart for the ACA annual conference. And sitting right across from me is a man who's traveled from the other side of the world just to be here this weekend. I'm talking of Dr. Tim Maggs, who's one of our keynote speakers at this year's conference. To give you a bit of background about Tim, uh, he's been in practice for 40 years and now primarily specialises in the evaluation, care and treatment of middle and high school athletes. He's the developer of the Structural Management Program, the Atlas Operating System, the Structural Fingerprint Exam and the Concerned Parents of Young Athletes Program. Dr. Maggs is currently the Director of Sports Biomechanics for Christian Brothers Academy in Albany, New York encourages all students and athletes to go through a structural fingerprint exam prior to the, uh, each season to determine the, any biomechanical faults and to consider proactive corrective measures. And we'll certainly be covering conversations about that in this podcast. Dr. Maggs travels far and wide and he's been a top speaker for foot levels for the past 17 years. Hi, Tim, and welcome to the ACA podcast. Hello there, Anthony. It's wonderful to be here, and I mean be here. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, it's great to have you here. You really are. You've come from the other side of the world to the land down under, and you're at the very bottom of the land down under. So uh, we appreciate uh, you making the effort to be here. Now, you're covering a number of uh, different topics over the weekend. I know your first uh, three hours this afternoon uh, talks a lot about the opioid crisis that exists in the U.S., To a lesser degree, we certainly have this issue in Australia, uh, and in fact, uh, the codeine-containing medicines have been recently removed as an over-the-counter item and now require prescription in Australia. There's certainly a growing awareness that for conditions such as chronic low back pain, opioids do not work and come with potential devastating addictive effects. So uh, your first part of your presentation is called Cause and Cure of the Opioid Crisis. Perhaps you could uh, share a little snippet of this presentation uh, with our ACA podcast listeners. I think the biggest problem with that whole opioid crisis, Anthony, is that we're trying to keep the existing system and rework it to make it feel better. But I think to use an analogy, that it's kind of like looking for the sunrise in the West. I don't think it can happen because the model that is used uh, primarily for musculoskeletal out there is the medical model. And it's a reactive model. And the doctors who are in that model use pharmaceuticals primarily as their treatment once an injury has occurred. So my whole message, my whole program is that we've got to look for the sunrise in the east. We have to look at the biomechanical model because every human has biomechanical faults and we can detect them as early as the age of 12 years old. And as chiropractors, we have under our scope of practice all of the tools needed to do the most comprehensive exam. And that's why I think if chiropractors uh, are open to it, which many of them have been, we can become the answer in this opioid crisis by getting people uh, going through biomechanical exams and getting them proactively addressing biomechanical faults that are the cause of many of the uh, degenerative changes 
changes and injuries that occur necessitating opioid treatment when it's in a crisis state. So we're trying to uh, present a brand new model, and coincidentally, it's one that chiropractors are the experts at. So let's nut this out a little bit further. You, um, I mean, we're obviously limited in some ways by our scope of practice. How would you suggest that chiropractors approach this problem more specifically? Well, ironically, when you say we're limited in our scope of practice, I, I disagree with that because we are the only profession that can uh, take x-rays and read the biomechanical information on those x-rays. We can order MRIs. We can do digital foot scans uh, and uh, prescribe custom orthotics. We can provide chiropractic adjustments. We can perform physical therapy. We can do rehab. We can do nutrition. And I lecture that if you take all of the other professions out there and collectively look at their scope of practice, they collectively cannot do what we can do. So I think what my invitation to the profession is, let's go back to the drawing board and freshen up our skills at X-ray and you know, get digital foot scanners into the offices and start assuming a little higher responsibility because we've got a big task ahead of us, but how rewarding to think that you're part of the cure of this whole opioid crisis. We'll definitely get on to the x-ray and digital analysis stuff in just a few moments' time, but I, I first wanted to cover the Atlas operating system um, that you promote. Within chiropractic, there are many different adjusting procedures, different philosophical and technique approaches, varying modalities used for patient care. Now, one of the drawbacks, of course, here is that the public's experience of chiropractic may differ vastly depending on the chiropractor they visit. Now, this thing that you've trademarked, the Atlas Operating System, is an attempt to bring some uniformity to procedures and outcomes. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about this? Yes, it, and that's the very reason that uh, we've developed the Atlas Operating System, because when I lecture, we talk about the fact that there are 65,000 different operating systems within our profession, because we've never been taught a consistency within uh, the, you know, the framework of what we do. The second thing, Anthony, is I think chiropractors have a tendency to want to get people on the table to start to treat them, but I say that's putting the cart before the horse. What we need to do is we need to become the experts in the biomechanical evaluation so that because there's so much information that we get in our structural fingerprint exam. So the second thing is that you have to process people through your system in, in a more effective manner with insurances out there, with state laws, with uh, biases and prejudices. Uh, you know, chiropractors are struggling. So this operating system, the Atlas operating system, really gives them a step-by-step -step approach and it addresses at the highest level uh, human consumer mentality, economics, and clinical uh, excellence, and it's a step-by-step, -step, so it doesn't matter what technique, what therapies, what nutrition, it really teaches you how to process patients through your office to get the best outcome. Now, one thing I'm really interested in is uh, your screening assessments of adolescent patients, um, your structural fingerprint exam. I know you'll be covering this quite a lot over the weekend. What exactly is the structural fingerprint exam? 
Well, it, this all started, Anthony, back uh, 25 years ago when I had the opportunity to work with the New York Giants. And one of their top players, making maybe $3 million a year, hurt his back, and the trainer sent him right down to physical therapy to get treatment. And I said to the trainer, you know, if you take an x-ray, you can see if there are imbalances in there. There's a lot of information that maybe is part of why he has the problem. That was the point it really hit me that no one is looking at the biomechanics and in, in looking prior to. So that was the beginning of the development of our structural fingerprint exam, which again, it's just taking standardized, uh, accepted biomechanical tests within the industry, and I kind of put them together into a nice, neat package, and now it consists of uh, history, uh, biomechanical testing, we do a digital foot scan that shows uh, the arches of the feet, have they collapsed, are they even, and then we take four standing x-rays, two of the lumbopelvic region and two of the neck in the standing position with the patient barefoot, and as I have learned over the past 40 years, and I'm sure we'll get into it, the amount of in information that is on those x-rays, as I describe to the patient, it kind of tells me where you've been, and it definitely tells me where you're going, so there's a lot of proactive improvements that can be made. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about the x-rays, and that was the, the perfect segue uh, into this next question, because um, from what I've read uh, about you and what you've just sort of uh, briefly mentioned there, it seems like um, your use of imaging as a screening tool may be somewhat at odds with sort of the current evidence-based guidelines. Can you explain a little bit more about how you use x-rays as a part of your assessment and why you think that this is important? I would love to. <laughs> The interesting thing is, Anthony, and I say this all the time, it's like I'm fighting the evidence-based uh, group out there, and it's ironic. I think the evidence that we see on an x-ray is mandatory in, in providing the highest level of care, yet the group that's fighting that claims that they are evidence-based. So it's, it's just kind of comical uh, in the wording. However, uh, the group that is out there now, you know, really causing the opioid crisis. They, they don't know how to read x-rays is what it comes down to. Uh, the reading of x-rays is primarily a medical reading. And, you know, in chiropractic, once you graduate school, you're put into this medical world, and we kind of forget biomechanics. There's nothing that endorses or enhances it. There's very few postgraduate courses in radiology. I had the blessing to work nine years with Dr. Yoakum. I traveled the country lectured 55 times with him, and I went into that relationship with a, an enhanced knowledge of biomechanics on x-ray. When I came out of it, I knew that this is the correct thing to do if we're going to start to take care of the public, because what I learned from Dr. Yoakum on x-ray and MRI, uh, it was any chiropractor would, would love to have had that opportunity. So there is a wealth of biomechanical information that we teach that every chiropractor is qualified to read that will govern what treatment and what uh, a game plan can be made for each patient that will help to reduce the likelihood of injuries and reduce the or slow down the progression of degeneration. Well, certainly that must have been a, an absolute thrill to be working with Terry Yoakum. He's one of the uh, the legends of chiropractic radiology, and I think. 
just about every chiropractor out there would have uh, a copy of uh, uh, Essentials of Skeletal Radiology. Is that what the books, the textbooks called? That yes. doubles. Yes. yes. So, um, yes, certainly helped me through my school days, and uh, and a, a text uh, book that I co commonly uh, go back to. Uh, I guess um, the question might be, in in terms of taking it to the next level in and using X-rays in a, a screening way, uh, are you involved with or are you aware of any research that demonstrates that using X-rays like, as a screening tool can improve patient outcomes. I mean, I can understand how it makes sense. I can understand how you can sort of see um, where they've been and where they're going in terms of degenerative changes or, or, or postural faults, but, but has it got to the level where there's actually been studies done in this? Well, I find that I'm kind of leading the charge. And, uh, you know, the one, the one thing I have, too, which is very interesting, Anthony, uh, I believe I have the largest database of uh, standing x-rays of the middle and high school athlete. Uh, and on that database, we have been extracting data to put it together. One of the pieces of information in a recent study that we did, we took uh, the last 150 kids, you know, 13 to 18 that we x-rayed. Some of them have never been injured. Some of them have been injured. But the information we found, we measure femoral head height. And again, we're, they're very standardized how we take them. They're barefoot, we position them the same. And femoral head height, uh, we start to use lifts at three millimeters. So what we did was we looked at the 150 AP LS x-rays, and we said, what percentage of these kids have an unlevel femoral head greater than three millimeters? Because I think everyone would agree it's clinically significant, knowing that joint replacement, hip replacement is a growth industry, no one ever looks at that piece of information. So when we looked at that, what we found out of 150, 116 of these kids had femoral head height difference greater than three millimeters, and that doesn't even put into the equation, what did their feet look like on a digital foot scan, what arches are collapsed, and between the two, those kids are walking nightmares as far as musculoskeletal. We know that they are going to cost society more if we don't address the feet and if we don't level those femoral heads. So three millimeters doesn't sound like much. Um, how, for those ones where there's a small difference, how often are you using a heel lift? How often are you using an orthotic? How often are you just watching, observing, adjusting, doing rehab exercise or whatever it might be? Good question. We have found in doing digital foot scans, um, you know, and again, keep in mind, we have an opioid crisis. We don't know how to put a lasso around that. We don't know how to slow it down. Well, the first thing is we've got to stop reacting to problems. We've got to start to address from proactive. So proactive would mean you look at the, uh, let's say a young individual, 13 years old, and you look for the biomechanical faults because we all know that if there's increased loading on an area, that that is the uh, precipitator of injury and uh, premature degeneration. So when we do digital foot scans, you ask how many uh, would require orthotics. Uh, we have found, Anthony, that it is close to 100%. And that's a number that a lot of people have trouble with. But I say, until you fix that opioid crisis, I don't think you can criticize me for proactively doing more to balance that structure. And then you talk about the three millimeter difference. It ranges from three millimeters to probably 21 
31 millimeters, and it's all over the board, these 116 uh, cases that we talk about. So at three millimeters, that's when you start to talk about the need for a lift. So we would say that probably is clinically significant. And what about measuring the outcome from a functional perspective? Are you retaking x-rays with orthotics or heel lifts in, or do you just clinically observe the changes uh, with, the, with the heel lift or an orthotic? Well, in our Atlas operating system, we have learned, first of all, we, when we take the initial x-rays, the standard lumbar series is five views. We do an AP and a lateral. When we do the standard neck series is five or seven views, we do an AP open mouth lower cervical and lateral. Because when you're looking for biomechanics, those two films of that each area provides massive information. So we ultimately do a five view series. And that five view series is we do the first two lumbar, first two cervical and a digital foot scan. If the patient agrees to get orthotics, when they come in, we put them in their shoes and retake that APLS to determine what did those orthotics do to the femoral head height. And that is where this whole program has gotten very interesting because we've got clear data now to show that there's a lot that's happening and these evidence-based doctors, that approach, they're unaware of any of these changes and these changes are the things that are um, going to, I think, dictate the future of caring for musculoskeletal. Okay, moving on now to another topic that you'll be covering over uh, this weekend, which is the three phases of musculoskeletal injury. Uh, can you tell our uh, ACA podcast listeners a bit about that? This is uh, my effort to take my 55 seminars with Dr. Yoakum, his four-hour seminar that I w witnessed 55 times. Not to mention the, you know, having him on speed dial for any cases that I had to talk to him about, and not to mention the fact that he read most of my x-rays during that time and in, in being able to learn from his reports. I tried to take that knowledge and condense it into uh, something teachable to the chiropractors who will never have the opportunity that I had. So the three phases of musculoskeletal injury really talks about the, the initial phase, which is soft tissue inflammation, the secondary phase, which is inflammation of the bone, and then the final phase, which is weakening of the bone from that inflammation that creates a stress fracture. And uh, anyone who has seen Dr. Yoakum knows spondylolisthesis is his, uh, his baby. He's a pioneer in that uh, condition. But that is a condition very uh, similar to the stress fractures and stress reactions in the feet, the ankles, the tibia, the knees, the, the uh, hips. Uh, and that is what our program is about, to be able to detect the abnormal loadings, to understand the degree of the injury, and to apply the proper long-term and short-term corrective care to it versus just trying to get rid of the pain without having any of that knowledge. Well, Tim, look, I really appreciate uh, your time this morning. I know in uh, just a, a, a few hours, uh, in fact, just over two hours, you'll be starting your presentation. I know, you, like me, you haven't had lunch yet. So um, not only have you made the trip all the way to the land down under, but I really appreciate your time on the ACA podcast today. Anthony, thank you very much. I appreciate what you're doing. I'm excited to uh, get with the docs uh, today, tomorrow, and Sunday. And uh, hopefully, together, we can start to move that marker and make a, a big change in this whole opioid crisis. 
Well, Dr. Tim Maggs is just one of the many great speakers uh, that the delegates at this year's conference will be hearing from. If you're not lucky enough to be down in Hobart this weekend, there will be recordings available for purchase from the ACA. That will probably come up in the next uh, week or two. Uh, but that's it for me. Thanks for listening. It's been great fun recording a live podcast here in Hobart. I hope this interview has been helpful in your quest for excellence and look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast.